Hello and welcome to the new episode of Dakota Boys Talk Movies, another audio episode for you, for you people who hate our ugly mugs out there. And there are a lot of you, I know. <laughs> there are a lot of you, or some of you are indifferent, whatever. But we just figured we might as well just keep this one audio because we don't really have anything to show. <laughs> it's more just kind of us talking out some ideas, and so tonight's episode we're going to focus on, what do you want to call them, a blanket, sequels. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Uh, we're going to talk about some sequels that we think should have happened and didn't, and some sequels that did happen but shouldn't have happened, and I'm going to go over a few of those, but uh, yeah, Dakota, how are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. I, I got a good feeling about this one. <laughs> That's good, because I'm like the whole, seems like everyone in the Star Wars universe has a bad feeling about everything, but I don't, <laughs> it's like the thing they say, but... Yeah, so it's, that's what we're going to dive into tonight, and I think we're just going to get get right into it, get right into the nitty-gritty of it all. And so let's start with maybe a shouldn't have had a sequel. So Dakota, what do you got for a shouldn't have had a sequel? Uh, I love the fact that we're getting right down to the meat of the potato. Okay. This movie that I'm thinking of came out both when we were kids, and it's a pretty solid movie. It has some flaws. It's not It's not perfect, but it was a perfect summer blockbuster movie. Rookie of the Year? No. <laughs> not even close. Okay. Okay, I'm talking of Independence Day. Ooh, the 1996, kind of in a lot of ways, the new modern blockbuster um, that and, and Twister were a couple of the first ones. And what I mean by modern, I know a lot of people are like, well, that was Jaws. That started the blockbuster. But then we came into the surround sound era <laughs> and the THX, um, Luke, the thing Lucas created for surround sound. And, and uh, Independence Day was one of the first, along with Twister, that really changed movie experiences. It was about the big popcorn flick. Yeah. Um, some would. I've heard people refer to this as the glory days because people weren't using CGI so much and they were relying on practical effects and the stories were better. Uh, we're not here to debate that. <laughs> we're just, right. We're just here to talk about this movie, which I think is pretty great. It's definitely fun. It's, I mean, uh, even when you even now when you look back and, yeah, maybe the spaceship scenes are a little dated and some of the CGI, but it's still a fun romp. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster of <laughs> adrenaline. I don't know. Are we... Yeah, it's fun. And, you know, you got Will Smith there back when he was still just trying to have fun and not trying to be serious and win awards or something. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great. But then what happened? Well, nothing really for like 20 <laughs> years. Exactly. And then, I don't know. Roland Emmerich apparently got tired of making these horrible disaster movies. Yeah. Well, and, and the, it was kind of one of those things where we all did want an Independence Day sequel. But this is when you start to ask the question, is there a point when it's too late? Yeah. You know, and I think he answered that question <laughs> for us. Well, I, I find it funny that uh, Will Smith himself kind of thought it was a bad idea to make this movie which kind of tells you something about the whole thing i feel that maybe you shouldn't have done it <laughs> well yeah you can't always totally judge something by that if like if a certain actor wouldn't be in it but yeah when you think about this movie though it should kind of make you kind of step back reevaluate like, should I still do this when one of the people that made the first one memorable not be in it? You know, and so, I don't know. This was one that really toyed with my emotions because it was it was a sequel I kind of always wanted. And then that first teaser kind of led you to believe, like, I don't know, there could be something there, you know? And I always forget that Roland Emmerich does that to you. Yeah, the problem with is... His trailers. The problem is they rested the entire movie essentially on Jeff Goldblum's uh, shoulders, and it just did not work. I would argue it rested too much on the shoulders of Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. And 
whoever Will Smith's son was, some kind of newcomer guy. I'm just disappointed it wasn't Jaden Smith. They could <laughs> they could have totally done that. And yeah, I, well, I probably I probably would have forgiven the movie a little bit more. That kid's so small, though. He wouldn't have been a believable <laughs> fighter pilot. They would have to like have him sit on a phone book or something. Yeah. <laughs> but this movie, I don't. We didn't review this movie. I guess I talked about. We a talked about bit. it in our summer recap episode. Yeah, it was just not that good. I kind of just wanted to fall asleep halfway through to it, and Brent Spiner's character for some reason was really. He'd be the cuckoo scientist with long gray hair for the first one, if you don't know who Brent Spiner is. Yeah, the one who uh, was dead, apparently, but, oh, he wasn't. He was in a coma. They explained it off as a coma, which is kind of <laughs> lame. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, I don't know why they decided to go ahead with this movie. and It was a movie that had a lot of things seem to happen, and yet nothing happened. Yeah, it just, it just didn't feel right, in a way. Yeah. I mean... There were some cool the the effects in this movie are the only thing really that this movie has going for it right because they were really spectacular but just yeah. story acting was just bad well and you're right too with when you brought up uh uh Jeff Goldblum because nostalgia wise it does rest on him. Because Bill Pullman is basically checked out of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) He's there, but he's not there. And so, you know, like Force Awakens, you kind of had Harrison Ford to kind kind of hold your hand into this new thing. And he could do it because he's Harrison Ford. But, uh, didn't quite, uh, Goldblum didn't quite hold that together, like you said. And then when you surround him with uninteresting people that you kind of hope lose any like maybe the aliens will win and wipe out <laughs> these terrible people you know that doesn't help either so because i didn't mind i thought goldblum was good in the first movie yeah he was but then you realize that some of what you liked about him was how he played off of will smith especially when they kind of getting paired together for the mission yeah if you watch it though he's in it he's not in it as much as you think he would be though in independence day yeah it's like you think about him essentially almost being like half of the movie, but he's not. He's not really. I mean, I think he gets equal equal screen time with Randy Quaid. Yeah, I guess Goldblum's kind of more there for the important stuff, isn't he? Yeah, but uh, hmm. at the end of the day, Will Smith essentially made that movie. Um, he was just he was too cool. I never <laughs> thought I'd say that. He was too cool. He was the Fresh Prince. That's what he was at that point. Guys wanted to be him. Girls wanted to be with him. Yeah, all of it. It was all a great. Of it. it was a great movie, but the follow-up is just. I feel like this is one of those uh, movies. Uh, Fox seems to have quite a few of them lately, where they just kind of want to sweep under the rug and pretend like like nothing happened. <laughs> and then it begs the question: like, why? Why did you do it to begin with? Then, like I said, I think Roland Emmerich got. Just, but they funded him. Yeah. You know, that's what... They must have saw something there where they're like... Because, I mean, they had plans for this to be like, what, two or three more movies. Yeah, this was supposed to be a trilogy, a kickoff to a trilogy of movies. Which it made enough worldwide where now everybody sit down <laughs> and there might be a little shiver down your spine, but they might actually make another one. You know, if they do, I think... Honestly, it'll probably star like people we haven't heard of, or people, people from like '90s TV shows. Or who are the popular. only, the only original cast member that'll come back is Brent Spiner. Yeah, since it ends with his big, yeah, I don't if they, Eureka moment. I think if they do do something, it'll be, it'll be like I can't even remember the sequel to Tom Hanks's Angel and Demons movie that kind of just went under, and people are Inferno. Yeah, I think. Which did the opposite of Inferno? It imploded on itself. And he people, had a couple misses this year. A lot of people forgot about Hologram for a King. Yeah, it was another Tom Hanks that just kind of like came and went. But it's just one of those movies where people kind of just meh, and then yeah. the studio tries to sweep it under the rug. Yep. And you always for an Independence Day sequel like this, you're always going to have the all caps people that are like it's just a movie it's just for fun <laughs> the first one was a popcorn flick that was stupid too it's like yeah but the first one kind of had a heart 
Yeah, the first one was the first actually one, enjoyable. It was enjoyable. It had a heart. You know, this one was just heartless. And then it scares me because he's talking about redoing Stargate now. Oh, good like, Lord. Oh, no. Oh, God. The only way that could work is if he brings back Kurt Russell. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's your first shouldn't have. My shouldn't have. I'm going to go like, on a crazy, wacky limb here. Go a little more family, fair. Harry and the Hendersons? G-rated area with uh, the Santa Claus shouldn't ah. have had sequels. I was worried you were going to go jingle all the way. <laughs> oh, God. I for, you know, they made a sequel. <laughs> they did. I'm trying to remember. I think it has a wrestler or something. Uh, or Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, it's Larry the Cable Guy. If there's a sequel to a semi-hit movie, it's either Larry the Cable Guy or WWE Studios is producing it. It's kind of random. Yeah, but... Uh, the Santa Claus. Ugh. I'm going to be honest with you. That last one was so bad, I blacked it out. All I remember is, I think, Martin Short was in it. Martin Short is Jack Frost. Yeah. The one you couldn't... The winter character you can remember in our last episode. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he... Okay. Okay. The... Santa Claus Three is just everything about it is garbage. It's a it's a what do they call it? A dumpster fire, of of a mess. Just everything about it. Part of it is because it's like the director was like, "Oh my gosh, we got Martin Short. I'm just gonna let the camera linger on him, and it's gonna be comedy gold." And that's what it is. And we just felt like they just like, like well, let's let, let's let Martin Short just go, go Martin Short, full Martin Short. Now I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Clifford. Oh, good not, lord. Not the big red dog. This is a movie where Martin Short, as a 40-year-old man, played, like, what, an 8-year-old boy? No, I think he was 12 or 13. And Charles Grodin played his, his uncle, uncle. Yeah. Who was in love with uh, Mary Steenburgen. Played Mary Steenburgen, yep. And it's basically, in a sense, a What About Bob type movie. Yeah. <laughs> where Charles Grodin is basically driven crazy by his nephew to the point where he's going he's gonna to take him on this scary roller coaster ride. And it almost feels like hoping it'll kill his nephew is what it feels like. Yeah. But his nephew is like all innocent, happy-go-lucky, and, and annoying. And that was a movie where that was the first time I saw Martin Short go full Martin Short. And it was like, oh, man, this is bad. You never go full Martin. You never go full Martin Short. You know, he was really he was really pulled back in Three Amigos. Yeah. He was playing like this kind of innocent, wide-eyed, young actor guy, and it worked in Three Amigos because they, they kind of, you know, they kind of pulled him in. Like, no, Martin, just do your do your little guy funny stuff, but don't go crazy. But, yeah, Santa Claus 3 is another example. He just went crazy. But, but I just want to break down. The second one, you could argue, well, there was a point. The second one did have a point. It was, oh, he needed a, a, a wife. You know, it's kind of like what they did with Spickle Movie 2. It was like, it was kind of an excuse to give Gru a, a, a wife and the girls a mother. But mm, it just it just wasn't very good. And I think part of it was, it was one of those stories where it was a Santa Claus story that could have been just for any Santa Claus. You could have just made a movie called the Miss uh called Mrs. Claus or something and it could have been about Santa Claus needing a wife. I think that's been done on the Hallmark channel already. I'm sure it has. Yeah. Well they attach this one to the Santa Claus franchise where it's like, oh there's a clause to your claws. You gotta magnify in more. And it's just bad and then they made uh uh, who ends up kind of being almost more the antagonist in the first movie is Judge Reinhold, kind of being the trying to be the level-headed realist psych psychiatrist. Well, now that he believes there's a Santa Claus, like him and Scott Calvin, Tim Allen's wife, just become like weird goofballs in the sequels. It's like they turn them into these weird comic relief characters, and. The second one is barely forgivable, but unnecessary. And then the third one, I just go back to, is just like, oh, you just want to rip your eyeballs out <laughs> and then, you know, lose your hearing if you have to sit through it because it's so, it's so rough. And it was just, you know, it was just one of those examples where once again, 
they waited longer than, let's see, I think from the first one to the second one was like six or seven years. And I think once you... Wow, that's quite a... And then the last two were made within, you know, five years or something, you know. And so I, that, I think that's where you need to step back and go. It, once you get beyond like three years or you never had a plan for a sequel, you know, you just never had a plan. But then four or five, six years down the road, you go... Well, I don't know what else to do. Maybe I think that's where the studios just need to like. I think it's funny that there's so many movies out there like that. Um, well, it becomes I'm, a money grab. I'm going to go back to Will Smith here. The reason we never got an I Am Legend 2, um, this was up until a couple of years ago. Apparently, they had a script ready. Okay. But he was of the mind that, oh, um, now I'm going to pass because I think a majority of people forgot about that movie already. So bye. And it's like, because it was a forgettable movie. Yeah. That's uh, it made a lot of money, which is why Warner brothers said, well, God, that made a lot of money. We could bring back Will Smith, but Will Smith, that was a case where he was smart enough to maybe just be like, it's been too long. Yeah. And I feel like some people that's, that's really what they should do. Um, uh, kind of a sequel that was made that really shouldn't have been Caddyshack 2, which I think Chevy Chase just made because they threw enough money at him. And he was like, okay. And Rodney Dangerfield was smart enough to know. <laughs> I think we said everything with the first one. We don't have to continue this. And there's guy. a reason the first one's a classic. Yeah. And the second one, nobody talks about. Plus so, two, it's Rodney Dangerfield is one of those characters, uh, one of those actors who could could really like command the scene well like, he was just i mean look at him everything about him was just held your attention yeah. whereas chevy chase i mean yeah he had some good movies but the that was more due to the actual actual filmmakers and the supporting cast than himself yeah when you actually see a movie where it really depends on him or he has to do more he's not very good but yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you there. But let's go. Let's let's kind of flip flop here. Let's go up to a should have, should have happened. So oh, what, what right. Do you, what do you got for a should have happened? Uh, around this time of year, as the snow starts to fall, I think of this movie. <laughs> it, uh one of my fondest childhood memories is watching this movie in the winter time. I'm referring to the thing. Ah, it's a nice cozy by the fire with the hot chocolate movie. Yes, Are you, I, I'm, I'm, I went the complete opposite now, of Stephen here. Just to clarify, he's talking about the 1982. Yeah, I believe it was 1982. John Carpenter one. And John the, Carpenter's magnum opus, people. Yeah, which is saying something. It is. It definitely wasn't Ghosts of Mars. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, unfortunately was not the filmmaker he was later on in life, but during the 70s and 80s he made some great movies so just to clarify you are putting this above big trouble in little china yes escape from new york yes okay is this i'm even putting this above well wait for it here it is they live they live oh i thought you're gonna say halloween oh no oh no you know halloween's the only one i i, I would have to think about it <laughs> Like a day of solid thinking. I'd have to go for a walk, <laughs> fly a kite, go kayaking. Just sit in the park, buy some birds for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Read some poetry. Just just get in the mindset to really think about this. Day by day, he gazed upon her. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. This movie is pretty great. I would just wanted to clarify that you are actually putting this above... Some that people hold pretty dear. Yep, I'm putting my stamp on it. Okay, there it is. And the, the DAC stamp. One of the reasons I do is just, there are really no weak points in this movie, you know? There's nothing that draws. Literally right from the get-go, we're thrown into, like, action. Yep. Into the action. Or at least thriller, suspense. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many facets of this movie it's like John Carpenter was like a master craftsman at this point. You know, there's there's moments of tension, there's moments of uh, levity, there's some kind of parts that kind of make you smile a little bit. Well, how many times this day has 
versions or hybrids of the the blood testing scene been done? Oh my god! I mean, it's... he started that, and it's still probably the most tense in the thing when they're testing everybody's blood for if they're one of them. Yeah, it's like, man, you can't beat that that tension. Yeah, this uh, this movie, if you look at it in a certain light, is kind of the grandchild of all those monster movies from way way back in. Uh, I'm not talking Dracula, but the Wolfman, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, stuff like that, where they kind of wanted to make these really scary monsters with the effects at the time. It's like, okay, we're just going to have to throw a guy in some suit or some, uh, makeup. Uh, but this one, uh, I'm not really sure what the monsters were, animatronic or... Uh, in in John Carpenter's the thing? Yeah. It was... Uh, I think he mixed animatronic with stop motion and then a lot of like... Uh, well, like, well, everything was practical. Yeah, you know where like they had to like make the things work on the set, and so it was all these kind of just practical animatronic prosthetics and things like that. So, which makes it very realistic. They did it in such a way where it's there's some scenes where it feels real. Yeah, that's one of the things I always loved about this movie. I mean, you know, there are moments and other sci-fi slash horror movies where we see the alien or the monster and it just looks horrible well and i think what makes this an interesting movie too is it's it's a movie where the monster just could be anybody which kind of makes me wonder is this supposed to be was this supposed to be kind of a communism movie like you don't know who could be one um <laughs> well it was a I'm remake just... of a movie from the 50s so maybe... could have been but yeah so Here's here's where I get to you. Now, you're saying this should have a sequel. Yes. How would that work? Because sometimes classics just don't... I mean, I'm guessing maybe at this point you don't want there to be a sequel, or do you still want there to be a sequel at this point even? Well, here's the thing. You could do it, and it'd be a little more along the lines of... This is the problem, though. It'd be a little more along the lines of Aliens. Okay. Where... You know, we saw that uh, the very end shot is we see the dog running. And ah, we're yes. Kind of supposed to. Is that a dog? Is it the? Is it the thing? We don't know. But uh, yeah, the, it's, I, the movie ends with basically a huge question mark. But the sequel would pick up a, little, a few months after it, where you have these string of outposts that are essentially just have gone silent. Like they haven't been hearing anything from them. So, this company kind of hires this. Uh, it gets a little cheesy in the beginning. I figured. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of came up with a synopsis in my head, people, and I'll just throw it out there. So this government hires these private contractors to go in, um, and this is where it kind of turns into Alien vs Predator for a little bit. Bear with him. Let's but, hope that's not a bad thing. But they kind of go in and to one of these places, and they find. Essentially, no one there. There's a, a little bit of damage to the place. Uh, like, obviously, there was a fire. It wouldn't be the place where Kurt Russell had his showdown with the thing. And then, you know, they just kind of go room to room. They eventually, huge snowstorm, so they get stuck there. And then and then the hilarity ensues. And by <laughs> hilarity, I mean all the god-awfulness just breaks loose. And so what lot of your... death. Would your modern day sequel have any CGI? I would probably try to scale it back. Use it as a tool? Yes. Not your main creature effect? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, I thought the thing, quote unquote, sequel, but it was really a prequel, uh, actually was really good about that. Which, what, what year was that made? Um. Oh, man. Seven? Oh, eight? Seven? Yeah. It had uh, uh, 10 Chlorfield Lane's Mary Elizabeth Winstead was the lead in that. And Joel Edgerton, yeah. right? Yeah, it had some uh, people who are kind of in and out of the spotlight. Joel Edgerton, way more so at this point. He's been getting some award buzz even. But yeah, he's actually in that movie. And and I think that helps. You can tell. I did see that one. And you can the acting is good too. Which I think was something that was interesting in that original was that. And maybe it's because it was like a, it was 80s. But there's really a bunch of nobodies in the original. The thing except for Kurt Russell and 
kind of Wilford Brimley. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're all really believable in their roles. Yeah. You know, was... and they're all just, you believe them when they're tense. You know, you believe them when they're just kicking back. You know, whatever. It's just, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, John Carpenter definitely has a, a knack for taking people, like, even they live. I mean, that movie does, in a way, barely work when you think about it. But he made Roddy Piper kind of cool and look good in a movie. I mean, everybody thought Roddy Piper was cool as a wrestler. But as an actor? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess a pro wrestler kind of is an actor. But we won't go there. But, yeah, okay, The Thing. All right. And All you right. even you even have your premise there. So, okay, my should have. Now, both my should haves, I'm going to footnote with, I think it's, been too long and they shouldn't maybe do it now but that's why i said they should have had one but now it's too late probably and the first thing i'm going to do is the rocketeer ah uh, great movie yeah uh it was a it was a hit it was a hit when it came out it, siskel and ebert gave it two thumbs up everybody was loving it yes this is the siskel and ebert days you know and uh it was a disney movie uh of all things uh this is back when Disney would dabble in doing kind of an interesting live action movie, uh, which they didn't really get back into until what Pirates of the Caribbean probably was really they really got heavily more into making interesting live action movies. I'm not talking about like Shaggy Dog type things, but like like interesting ones. Yeah, movies where they kind of have like this epic scope to them. And yeah, yeah, they're trying to do something. Yeah. You know, instead of just like goofy Disney movie. And uh, and Rocketeer is actually a comic strip and comic book that uh, they apparently got the rights to and even got the uh, creator's blessing. Uh, he was really a part of it. In fact, I have the comic book of the movie that he did, that he drew and, and wrote out and things like that because I love this movie. And it's 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 just cool because it's it's about a stunt pilot who ends up discovering a uh, a rocket pack that was kind of ditched and hidden in in, a, in his airplane hangar by some not the greatest of guys, you know, who did it there, and he starts to use it at first accidentally to just help a friend who's in trouble, and then um it ends up being kind of a bigger convoluted plot where the nazis get involved where the nazis were actually after this technology that was created by uh howard hughes they bring in a a fictionalized version of howard hughes who was developing these things and um yeah the nazis are trying to get a hold of this technology and so this normal guy cliff secord ends up being the hero and taking down this kind of little group of secret Nazis within the U.S. This would have been right before, a few years before the U.S. got involved in uh, World War II. But what makes it interesting is you had Timothy Dalton play like a really awesome Clark Gable-esque guy who was just evil. So it's cool because he gave this Clark Gable performance, but he was just like evil. <laughs> And then he had this big giant henchman. That was just cool to have like this big ugly henchman who could like who felt like an unstoppable force. It just had this uh Joe Johnston who directed the first Avenger, Captain America First Avenger, did this movie and he's just good at getting that like old timey feel and making it fun. And so it's just fun. And so I guess it'd be cool to do like a follow up where um you kind of see like some of the next steps of that rocket pack and, and where it leads to, and it could or could not involve Cliff Secord. But at this point, I think it's just too far gone where they just either need to let it go or reboot. But even a reboot's kind of scary. Yeah. At this point. And then this movie also had Jennifer Connelly. Oh yeah. When she was just like, va voom. <laughs> yeah. Like in her hottie voluptuous <laughs> prime, uh, which, I don't know, at some point she, like, went all, like, I don't know, Adkins diet or something. Where she just went all, like, rail thin, like all the women feel like they need to be now. Yeah, and then but she this got... was back when she, like, had a figure, but 
it wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, then she got really serious, too, about what acting job she would take. And Well, it was after she won her Academy Award. Yeah. They get all like, oh, I got to... I got to do pretentious things now. <laughs> How's that working out for you, huh, Jen? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> just get all harsh. I'm so, sorry. That was uncalled for. But yeah, it was just a really fun movie, and it was just like, man, it had a great soundtrack even by the late uh, James Horner. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, that's man, right. just good stuff. And actually, for those of you who are Office fans, Jan Levinson Gould is in this movie, <laughs> and she's actually like the 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 ritzy club singer and it's just funny because now when you go back and watch it now when you go back and watch it all you can think of is jan singing one of her crazy songs to her baby on the office i think i might have to go back and watch yeah i didn't until like i watched like three years ago and i'm like it's jan levinson gould (laughs) uh her name is uh, i don't know what her name is in real life something something but, yeah, anyway, she's in that for you Office fans. So that's kind of funny to see her be in this lounge singer since she does kind of sing in the office every once in a while. But I always just kind of had this little torch held that the Rocketeer would happen all through my childhood into teen years. And then I just had to just very unceremoniously put out that torch and put it in a drawer and let it go. Yeah, if anything, I'm a kind of surprised that there wasn't a sequel because it seems like Disney they're kind of a sequel to, machine tends to beat them to death and then even when they're dead tries to beat them even more I think this would have had a sequel if it were animated oh yeah most definitely I think the, what hurt it was it was live act. Alan Arkin is even in this movie how could I not have brought him up I thought he was awesome in this too but um, yeah I think just Live action just kind of affected it a little bit. And maybe Disney just kind of looked at it and were like, I don't know, did it do well enough for us to make another one or whatever? I don't know. I also saw this at a magical point in my life. I saw it when I was like uh, still in early elementary, and I saw it on a summer night outside in the city park on a screen, and it was eating ice cream. It was just like a magical experience. Everything about it is magical. So that kind of affects it a little bit too, but I still think it's a good movie. It's actually so. uh, the fun. Here's the thing: a lot of movies that are made in the '90s really do not hold up well. Um, no, I was you're right. Me being a horror movie connoisseur, I used to think Event Horizon was great. <laughs> I hadn't seen it for seven years up until a year ago, and I put it in, and I'm just like, "What is this?" <laughs> This is like really cheesy and needlessly violent, and I'm not sure what Sam Neill's trying to do. What was I thinking? It's just one of those movies. Uh, uh, that's funny. So well, let's go into your next ones. Enough of us uh, reminiscing on that. Uh, like let's ne- do you shouldn't have. Your next shouldn't have. Ah, the next shouldn't have. I was thinking about this recently, and we talked about it a little bit, but uh, this is this movie was the high point in a fry, in a franchise. In a frying pan? In a franchise. <laughs> Not French fries, a franchise. It's the high point in my French fries. <laughs> but for some reason, they decided to keep making these movies, and the last one was just universally hated, except oddly enough by me and my brother, I guess. That's not oddly. You like a lot of <laughs> random movies, man. But I am referring to Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Shouldn't have? I think that it should have ended right there. It should have ah. ended right there. So, but, you think, so essentially, you think T2 should have been the last one? Yes. Okay. It was too... Just, there are no words to describe how amazing this movie is. I mean, even as even when I was young, I would just sit out, sit down and just gawk at how 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 mind-blowing the effects were, the cool, the cool T1000, uh, you know, Robert Patrick running like 45 miles an hour, <laughs> which apparently he can't do anymore because he has a bad hip. <laughs> I don't think anybody can run that bad. <laughs> I think it's humanly impossible. <laughs> but it was just one of those movies that really kind of caught you and took you to another place 
someplace you don't want to be, but you know, <laughs> it still just changed the changed a lot of things like how you view movies, action movies, sci-fi movies. Um, this movie had like a lot of heart, and it just kind of always. I kind of always just thought every time somebody brought up the Terminator, I would think of Terminator Two, like, oh, that was a great movie. And so, what are you, what are your problems with Terminator Three? Oh, there's just too many to list. Uh, from from the star casting choices are bad. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. To Arnold looking noticeably older, but hey, we're still gonna go with it because, well. We wanted that money, and it just seemed kind of convoluted, like they weren't sure what they were doing, and, you know, it was, yeah, there were some moments that kind of made you chuckle, but there was nothing in there, really, that I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, we had the Terminatrix, ooh. Yeah, it wasn't terribly interesting. It was just, honestly this really felt like a sci-fi movie <laughs> that got, you know, just $200 million to make, um, in its budget to make. And I just, and then rise of the machines. I, I tried watching it three times. Well, that, that was three rise. Of the machines is three. Oh, I'm sorry. Not rise. Salvation of the is four. Terminator salvation. I tried That's to, the Christian Bale one. Just tr- for you people who don't know. I actually tried watching it three times failed every time so you've never finished it no no i finished it like years later <laughs> years yes years and there was a point when that when salvation came out that i really liked it and i think it was because you had such a bad taste from three where you're like and you're kind of you were still in that high from christian bale being batman yeah where you're like oh yeah this is okay this is going in the right direction i like this you know and things like that but it doesn't really rewatchability is tough and and it was one where they tried to be like oh we're gonna have more action and and try to resolve things but it really just ended up opening a whole new pandora's box of problems yeah i think i think uh mick g was the one who directed that yeah yeah i think he does things more so because he thinks it's gonna either come off as cool or be cool yeah and well, oh, he got a lot of fake street cred because he did those Charlie's Angels movies. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, it has cool action. It's like, no, it has corny action. Yeah, but uh, kind of like Paul W. Sanderson, uh, he kind of rose to the top on a mountain of just fakeness, I feel. Like it was just illusion. And if you look close enough, you realize it was all just crap. <laughs> That's how I feel. And he he's ro- sinking. He's <laughs> sinking yeah. into the crap. But that's just how I felt. Uh, Terminator Genesis, I thought, was a little bit more fresher. Problem is, the rest of the world disagreed with me. And James Cameron, they disagreed with me and James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, I'll always I'll always have that, I guess. But, yeah, there were still some things with Terminator Genesis that I didn't really like or care for. But it was, it was a fun movie. Uh, certainly a step up from the other two that uh, came after T2, but. Yeah, I definitely think they should have just ended so it. So you with wanted T2. your last image of Arnold to be his thumb up in the air as he sinks into molten metal? Yes. <laughs> I'm with you there. All right. What about you, Steven? Yeah, my other shouldn't have sequels would be Saw. Like uh the first Saw movie came out in like 2004 and was just a really interesting kind of low budget almost takes place in one room type movie although there's a few other scenes in it and it was kind of like it was kind of like the next wave of Blair Witch and I don't mean because it's found footage or anything but it was like let's take a really basic premise and kind of flesh it into this kind of psychological suspense crime movie here and I thought they did it very well and it had a really interesting kind of twist ending that 
that really worked. You know, everybody's always hard on twist endings down the road. Like, oh, stupid. You know, like with Sixth Sense, everybody's like, oh, stupid. But it's like, well, at the time, everybody thought it was a really interesting twist. It's just that now it feels like old hat. That's just kind of how that goes. Yeah, well, this this movie easily has probably one of the better twists of all time. Well, and and I th- and the first one just had an interesting. It had just more interesting things going on in it, where it was like you were trying to understand the mystery of what was going on, and not understanding who the actual bad guy was and why these people were picked, and if you know, and what was going on and how they were going to get out of here. But then, what happened after this was this. I don't know, movie that was made for a handful of, I don't know, a pocket of change, I think, basically, it was only it was made for. They probably had to pay Carrie Elwes and Danny Glover more than they spent on the rest of the movie. Who knows? But it made a bunch of money because it was, it was interesting, and it was kind of this new, fresh idea on what people started labeling as horror, which is another contention I have, where I would say the first Saw movie isn't really a horror movie. No, I'd say it's more psychological. Yeah, it was like it's like a crime psychological suspense is where I'd place it more. Yeah. But that's the problem. So what happened was this was Lionsgate Studios got their hold on Saw, had this big hit, and decided, hey, we could really brand ourselves and make our studio bigger if we just make the crap out of these movies. <laughs> and they made seven more. And there's another one coming. There's another one coming, and but there for a while they were making one every year. Like that was the thing. Every Halloween was going to be another Saw movie. Yeah, it was, and it turned into just this torture horror franchise. Something to think about um, when it comes to this franchise. The first one actually had very little gore. Yeah, very little blood. Right. Um, and they kind of use like camera tricks mm-hmm. on people. I, I remember there's one where a guy has to uh, get the combination off the wall to open up this safe that has a cure for the po- a poison that he's been injected with. Right. And he he goes up in flames on accident. He didn't really go up in flames. You saw flames kind of shoot up, and the guy kind of look up and scream. Uh-huh. So it was just kind of camera tricks. Um, Cuts. Yeah. Things like that. Kind of what uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre did where – they wanted you to think you saw more than what you saw. Yep. Well, I always go back and say that's the trick Hitchcock used to get past censors with Psycho. Yeah. You know, and, and things like that. And so, yeah, the first one is a lot different. And interestingly enough, some, some of you may not know this, but James Wan directed the first one, who has now gained a lot of street cred for The Conjuring movies and he did a, oh, what one of the more popular fast and furious movies also fast did he just do the seven fast seven yes um but he he did one of those movies too where it, you know and he's he's kind of a sought after director now and i think this is a movie that really showcases his chops early on where it's like he just came out of nowhere he was in his early 20s when they made this and you really see a guy who understood how to make uh, a movie with very little, with very little um, toys to do it with, so to speak, you know, and and make an interesting movie. But unfortunately, it just ran it into the ground, you know. And yeah, here's here's what bothers me about that whole thing. I I was actually one of those guys who would go to it every year in the theaters. It's kind of a tradition with me and. It, was I guess I um this year is probably the only year oh well, last year too um usually for Halloween we'll go see like a scary movie um but yeah I went to every single one of them and oh my gosh I I can't even remember what four or five are about <laughs> I really can't uh the second one was uh kind of interesting because you had uh Donnie Wahlberg in it uh the third one I'm trying to remember was kind of like a direct sequel to the to the second one and then after that they just got it was just like random people they kept throwing in hmm. throwing in these movies and it was kind of like why do we care that all these people are dying they're horrible people <laughs> <laughs> it's like make us care at least a little bit Once again we go back to what we've said in the past you know if you're if you're 
I don't know. I think they're just relying on how there's a bunch of people who just want to have a shock factor. Yeah, that you know, and sadly, I think it's true. There's just a lot of people who want a shock factor. But. Yeah, problem <laughs> is that doesn't that doesn't really carry over to rewatchability. No, but this could get us off on another tangent. But I think that's the problem with some studios is they're no. not worried about rewatchability. They're worried about instant gratification, but not so much for the viewer. Although sometimes they get instant gratification through, but more for them. Yeah. Like, oh, we're putting two hundred million, you know, into the production budget, let alone everything else we're spending money on this movie, and we got to make sure they instantaneously go this movie. You know, just empty their pockets to us, and we get it all back as fast as we can. You know, things like this, and they're not working out the details to make things that are interesting. You know, some studios are trying now a little harder to right some of those wrongs that they've been doing because they are seeing that. That was wrong. They were just trying to do quick bucks, but some of them, I mean, there's a lot of movies that still just don't care. You can tell they just didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. And and honestly, you can't really even blame the actors because what are, what are they supposed to do? It's like you get offered this big movie that's going to give you a paycheck that'll cover your mortgage for the next five years, you know, or something like this, you know, and it's like, it'd be hard to say no, you know, but at the same time, they don't really have anything invested in the movie because they're... They just like the paycheck, you know, or something. That's what happens sometimes. But yeah, now with the Saw series, it's different because those are just movies where they're like, oh, we can make these for cheap and, you know, make back our money 10 times over. That's that's what Saw is. They had a franchise. They realized, like, well, let's just run in the ground because we can make one of these for like five million bucks and it'll make 30 million opening weekend. Yeah, it was insane just how. How out of hand things were getting with that. So, yeah, that's kind of what happened there. But let's go to your let's go to your last should have. All right, this one also an eighties movie. Um, kind of has a cult following, especially I think thanks to the fact that TBS used to uh, air the crap out of this movie. Back to the Future. No, <laughs> oh, no, wait, that had two sequels. <laughs> close, close. But I'm talking about Red Dawn. <laughs> and I think you're thinking of TNT. Weren't they the ones that showed it all the time? Oh, were they? TNT, TBS, they're essentially the same Turner. thing. Turner. Yeah. Both powered by Ted Turner's ego. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, I was kind of like this movie. It took place uh, for a movie that had like a lot going on. It was kind of small in scope. Yeah. Um, and it had a lot, I think, to say kind of about patriotism, uh, community, friendship. Just, just I, I do kind of consider this in a way like one of those 80s teen movies, except with more violence. Yeah, well, in a lot of ways, it was like a teen empowerment movie, yeah. which is what happened a lot in the 80s. But you're right. There were like deeper things there. Yeah. And there were some pretty intense scenes. I mean, there's yeah, a scene where... There's some- yeah, real intense. Like basically, it's a war movie. Yeah, um, I mean, it was just when I watched this first, it seemed kind of, I kind of thought it was like going to be something really cheesy, like you know something that was filmed in like Montana for like a hundred thousand dollars. That for some reason, all the all the uh, people who were like America just love this movie, and and then I watched it. Well, and that did happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But at the time, I didn't know who. Oh man, I'm drawing a blank. I can't remember the director's name. Uh, who did direct that one? Did John McTiernan? Did no? No, he, did, no, he didn't direct. Uh, that I'm one. referring to the. He's also directed Conan the Barbarian. Um, he did a lot of rewrites in Hollywood in his early career, and uh, supposedly he he added a lot of stuff that made it into the final cut of Jaws. Um, John Milius. Yes, John Milius. I didn't realize he directed this movie. See, it was written by... The story was by Kevin Reynolds, of all people. Oh, I, I But thought, the screenplay was John Milius. Yeah. But... Uh, and Kevin Reynolds, I guess. But I, I find that interesting. He's kind of one of those directors who doesn't have a lot of excessive stuff in his movies. Um, And... 
it's odd because his first movie I think was Conan the Barbarian that he directed and that was like a huge hit back in the 70s um I'm trying to think of what he followed that up with his first screenplay was The Devil's 8 and then he did an Evil Knievel movie and then his first screenplay but he's uncredited was Dirty Harry oh wow but you're talking about his directing like what he directed first yes Dillinger was oh. one of his first. Oh, I, and then he did The Wind and the Lion with Sean Connery. Um, I think I skipped that one. But yeah, he did a handful of movies, but Conan O'Brien was one of his first real big hits other than I think Wind and the Lion did okay. Yeah. But he's kind of one of those directors who it seems like he just kind of gave up making movies for some reason. Yeah, it seems like he was kind of yeah, you're right. He was like this guy who touched up a lot of scripts, and he was, but he was kind of weird. Yeah, he was a really crazy dude. For and it was like he just kind of quit caring. For people who are wondering who this guy is, we we're talking about him. Are talking about he was parodied by his good friends, the Cohen brothers, in their movie The Big Lebowski. Walter is essentially John Milius. Yeah, like a gun crazy big guy. Um. Yeah. Apparently, John Milius had a thing where he was always talking about uh, people who died in Vietnam. Uh, well, he did write Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah. He himself could not serve, as I remember, because I watched some, uh, I watched some special features on Conan the Barbarian uh, one time. I saw a documentary about him, and yeah, he couldn't serve because of some health reason. Yeah, asthma. Yeah, he had asthma yeah. when he was a kid. And the funny thing is, when he was directing Conan the Barbarian, he actually did come out in a military style beret. Uh, the beard, the glasses that you do see Walter sporting. <laughs> and when I saw that in the big Lebowski, I think, I don't remember who was with me, but I just started laughing uncontrollably. But here's the thing. So you've never heard of this guy, but here's the people who he's helped and who speak fondly of him and would call him friend. Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, uh, John McTiernan, you know, People that really moved and shaped movies for a lot of years, and this guy, you don't even, a lot of people don't even know who he is. Uh, yeah, and then, like I said, the weird thing is he just faded into the background. Oddly enough, people do say that uh, he had an idea for a sequel to this, but he couldn't get it off the ground, and I think it's the video game Red State. Uh, where no, they... no, it's called Homefront. Homefront. Because I, I, I played it. And yeah, it's based on his screenplay. Yeah. And it's basically what they did with the new Red Dawn, where it involves yeah. North Korea. And it was an okay video game, but it you could tell it wasn't meant to be a video game. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it still had its moments. Anyway, if you get a chance to check out more about John Milius, I would, because he is... He He's does... an interesting dude. Um, It's interesting you brought up Dillinger, because... Uh, that movie had what Roger Ebert called one of the most intense gunfights of all time. <laughs> and I think it's like 12 men just shooting at each other. Was it the Sioux Falls shootout? Yes. Was yes, it? Yes, it's when they go to Sioux And oddly enough, I don't think it was Sioux Falls that they filmed in. I doubt it. it looks like a small, small town. And it's, it's imagine something out of uh, the original Magnificent Seven magnified to a million <laughs> with automatic weapons and it is it is a sight to behold my friends if it weren't for north by northwest and uh dances with wolves the only thing south dakota could really claim for a movie being shot here was starship troopers so <laughs> yes another great from the 90s <laughs> yeah 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 well we better get into my last one here before we start Getting too long here, although maybe some of you are like, holy crap, man, you've already gone too long. But So we'll get into my last one. My last one, I really don't have a lot to say about it, but it's one I wish would have gotten a sequel that uh, at this point, I'm a little worried that that would be a bad idea, but it's Unbreakable. Great movie. A uh, really cool movie about really an origin story of a man trying to understand uh, who he is, even more so than the fact that he becomes a superhero. It's really him just uh, coming into his own really at middle age. And you kind of, when you think about it, you're realizing how he squandered 
really a lot of his life kind of hiding something, but he was hiding it for the right reasons. And and I think that's kind of a part of this movie that gets lost was that he hid his abilities because of his because of his his love, his wife. You know, and it's just kind of interesting when you look at it from that angle on he meant it for the right reasons and yet it ended it's it ended up breaking up his marriage to his love. You know, you know where that's where we come into the story was them separated possibly getting a divorce. And so not only do you have like the origin service superhero but a man just understanding just his identity. And so it becomes a real psychological drama study. And then also you see the flip side of that. You see a man who is the mere opposite of our hero coming into his own and who he really is. And really in his search for an unbreakable man, when he finds that man, he comes into who he is. And it just kind of ends up being a really interesting study on those things uh, with also getting a really cool uh, superhero origin story on top of it all. But I just think it would be really cool to just, or it would have been cool to kind of delve into that stuff a little more in a sequel, you know, when Bruce Willis still kind of was trying, you know, I think now he's getting too old and doesn't care, but it would have been interesting to see a sequel has happened when Bruce Willis still maybe would have cared and just see where they could have taken, uh, this character next. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, something that is uh, factual or not, but I heard for the longest time that this was supposed to be a trilogy of sorts. Well, I know Shyamalan for a long time teased that he had a sequel idea, and then I think it turned into him saying something about, oh, I have different ways I could go with it. And a lot of people speculated that he did have like a series idea. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The movie, the movie definitely ended with you kind of satisfied, but at the same time making you wonder what was the next chapter in this character's life. Yeah. It definitely had closure, uh, which was good since we never have and probably never will get a sequel. I'm glad it has closure, but at the same time it was like, oh, it'd have been cool to see where, they would have gone next with that character um, just because he he was an interesting, you know, interesting guy. And to even delve more into uh, Samuel Jackson's character, like yeah. what they could have done with him because he was – turn this off if you haven't seen Unbreakable and Care because this will be a huge spoiler. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do it now. He basically becomes like the Lex Luthor. You find out he's like a Lex Luthor. And so it would be interesting to see how they could have used him in that way even Yeah. You know, next. but. I thought, yep. you know, Samuel L. Jackson's, I think, in a little way too many movies than he probably needs to be. He's in everything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He never says no, I don't think. But very rarely does he ever get to kind of flex his acting chops. And that was one of those movies where it's almost like he was he was allowed to flex them. And I really believe that he's one who takes um, lessons from the Lawrence Olivier way of acting where a lot of actors think you build a character from the inside out. That's like a lot of big actors. That's what they'll say like, Oh, I had to find who this person was and then I'll work on the outside. But I really feel like Samuel Jackson is like Lawrence Olivier. Oh, if I find the right look and outfit, I can be that guy, you yeah. know? Cause he's always got like this unique look to him and it usually involves purple. He pulls but, off purple, but I mean, yeah, he does. He does well. Purple. I'm not saying he doesn't, but it's just like it seems like you can tell that like this was a character where it's like I bet he had a lot of say in that look, you know, like oh I think it'd be cool if I had a trench coat, you know, type <laughs> thing, and like, you know, I mean, you know, the reason he said yes to Nick Fury was when he realized he got to wear an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I know when Amy Poehler's biography came out and it was called Yes Please. <laughs> because she never says I'm like that feels like a better title for Samuel L. Jackson's memoir because he he's in everything so everybody loves Samuel L. Jackson and everybody, everybody loves Sam everybody wants to get some <laughs> yeah so that's our list of you know sorry shouldn't in case you're gone mine were Saw and the Santa Claus my wait that shouldn't oh. shouldn't have yeah sorry Independence Day and Terminator 3 
Yeah, and my should-haves were Rocketeer and Unbreakable. Mine included the Christmas classics of The Thing (laughs) and the very patriotic Red Dawn. Yes, Wolverines! So, uh, yeah, with that, we're going to bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. And as always, throw us out your ideas on one way or the other. Like, man, why do they make so many of this kind? It would be like... Why was there a Jaws 4 or something like that? Or or if you think we're full of crap and you love these sequels that came yeah. after because you're insane. Ouch. No. I went there. He went there. He went there. Grumpy Dakota. The, gaunt- so, the gauntlet has been thrown down. Yeah, but let us know whether it's in the comments in section on YouTube, on our Facebook page. You can find us in those places. Like us and subscribe to us in those places. Uh, we are also on iTunes. And we are more currently are now on Stitcher, although our image still doesn't appear, which really annoys me, but we are on Stitcher. So if you use Stitcher on the Android, we're there. So go ahead and, uh, I, I don't know if you favorite, I think you favorite a station on Stitcher. I'm still learning it. And so, but take advantage of those things. And also, uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, stars on iTunes, whatever you want to use, you know, that's always great. You can do those things. Uh, Yeah, we'd appreciate it either way. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. This is Steven. This is Dakota. Take it easy. Bye.